Welcome to the Jenny Carlson Show. Bill Hancock has been dubbed the nicest person in sports. The Oklahoma native is also one of the most powerful. He's been the executive director of the college football playoff since it came into existence, and he was executive director of the BCS and the men's basketball Final Four before that. But after nearly five decades in college athletics, Hancock is soon to retire. We'll talk about his amazing career, his Hobart, Oklahoma roots, and yes, the playoff controversy over Florida State being left out. But first, I want to say a word of thanks to these sponsors for supporting The Jenny Carlson Show. Oklahoma Ford Dealers, Two Fellas Movers, MidFirst Bank, The National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, FireLakeJobs.com, NextGen Roofing, 988, Oklahoma's Mental Health Lifeline. Remember, drive into your best in Oklahoma Ford dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full lineup of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. And hey, if you're thinking about moving, let's face it, a box of pizza and a case of beer just don't work like they used to. Nobody wants to help you move. But we know two fellas that love moving. At Two Fellas Moving Company, we offer free, no-strings quotes for your move. With over 20 years' experience, we've pretty much moved it all. Our services don't end up moving either. Need to do some remodeling or spring cleaning? We have you covered with dumpster rentals and junk haul services. Remember, quotes are free, and there are no strings attached. If you're moving in Oklahoma, make sure to call the fellas. Visit twofellas.com for your free quote today. Well, Bill Hancock, it is so great to have you here today. I have to admit, though, when I decided last week that I was going to reach out to you and ask you to come on my show, I was really hoping you'd have a nice, quiet, last selection weekend before you retire. Bill, that did not happen. Well, we were going to talk about Hobart High School basketball. Girls we'll basketball. get there. Okay, okay. Or hiking in Quartz Mountain State Park. I, I don't know. But, yeah, it, it, was, it was a unique uh, year with just different circumstances. Uh, four slots available, of course, and you can make a case that there were seven teams that had a, that had a strong case to be among the four. Uh, and of course, we'll uh, we'll have a 12-team tournament next year, so things will be all different. Although not perfect, 12 will not be the panacea. There will still be heartburn. That goes with the territory. And you know, I'll say this, Jenny. Um, the committee felt very strongly that they got the best four teams. That's their charge in their protocol. And, but there are some people who think that Florida State is better than Michigan, Washington, Texas, or Alabama, one of those. And, mm. and I get that. I mean, I totally get that. And we all have schools that we love and cherish, and uh, that's the passion that makes college football so special. Yeah. You've obviously been in the room for all these uh, selection committee meetings over the years. Was it was it more intense on Sunday, Saturday into Sunday? Uh, how did this one compare to other years? Because, I mean, I know this is obviously top of mind and it's unprecedented with a, an undefeated Power 5 team, but you guys have dealt with tough decisions in the past. But how, did, how was the vibe this time? How did this compare? Well, uh, Ralph Russo from AP asked me Sunday, is this the hardest one? And I said, Ralph, I need to process this. I think something like, I need to watch the film and see. <laughs> but the fact <laughs> is, as after thinking about it, it, it was the most challenging because of the circumstances. Every year is so different. They're like snowflakes. Every season is different. Every set of circumstances on the last weekend is different. And 
this was this was just a unique year. Um, as far as in the committee room, there were pointed conversations, and that's what we want. We want people to express themselves, and, and they did. Um, and at the end of the day, um, they came out with the four teams in the playoff that you know. Yeah. You being the executive director, give people an idea of exactly what your role looks like, uh, you know, on a on a, a, a year to year basis with the selection Sunday. But then obviously tough decisions like this. I mean, what you're not voting, which I don't know if people know that, but you're not voting. But what role and, and how did you try to to help the committee on, on Sunday as they were coming to these final decisions? Well, I'm, uh, I would describe my role as maybe traffic cop, <laughs> just to make sure that, that they are sticking with the prescribed uh, processes of creating the small groups of teams that can be evaluated against each other and uh, kind of sticking to the schedule, uh, advising when asked. Uh, I don't get asked very often. I, I have been in all the meetings uh, except for one the very first year when, unfortunately, my brother passed away, Brother Joe down in Hobart. and uh, But I've been in all the rest of them and watched the committee's work, and I just want folks to know it's a, it's a high-integrity group of people who really, really care. So you're sitting in the room there Saturday, Sunday. Obviously, this is a high-pressure one, but did you have any time to reflect on your time leading the playoff? I mean, I have to think at the end of Sunday, at some point, it was kind of weird packing up everything for the last time. Was there any time for reflection for you this past weekend? You know, it wasn't, Jenny. Before the very first meeting, when I walked into the meeting room at the Gaylord Texan and thought, oh, this will be the last time. Um, but no, not on selection weekend. You're, you're, you're just doing too much to think about sentiment or emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about that Hobart basketball team. Let's rewind a little bit. You uh, did grow up down in uh, small town, Oklahoma, southwest part of the state. Let's talk about that. What what stands out in your mind as you think about now, you know, at a retirement point in your career? What stands out in your mind about growing up in Hobart? Well, it was such a neat little community, uh, county seat town, pretty trees, nice buildings, uh, great school, great public school. Uh, we were all of us who grew up there. I don't know about all, but, but most of us have such great feelings uh, about where we grew up in Hobart and, and when we got to live in Hobart. And the thing is, in a small town, you kind of have to do everything. You have to be in the senior play. You have to play football or play in the band. And if there's going to be a tennis team, you better go out for it. Because if you're not, if you don't go out, there won't be a tennis team. Um, and, and we had a village. We were raised in a village. I had a great mother and dad that taught me the right thing and really, frankly, exposed me to, to music, um, classical music, which really kind of turned my life around when I was in junior high. But just, it, it was just a wonderful place to grow up. I, I worry about small towns all the way from let's say the Rio Grande up through Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, and the Dakotas, small towns on the Great Plains have changed, are changing, and, and I think more changes ahead. But we, we all were very fortunate to grow up again, where we grew up and when we grew up. Yeah. Yeah. You told me once that uh, you, you mentioned the music. You told me once that the musical side initially, that, that you thought that was going to be your career's calling, right? 
yeah, I thought I was going to be a classical pianist. I envisioned myself in my tuxedo and my tails and, and, and sitting and playing Chopin or Beethoven or Mozart and, and maybe with some orchestra. That, that was my dream, and I was kind of naive enough to think that I was actually talented enough to do it. Uh, but when I got to OU, I realized that th that was like some small-town linebacker who's great in high school, but when he gets to OU or OSU, realizes that he's he can't play at that level. So I fell over into something that was really easy for me and fun, which was journalism. Yeah. Yeah, because your 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 family you mentioned your brother Joe and and your dad uh, back uh, generations uh, involved with the newspaper business there in Hobart and I know I know you're a little bit like me you got that ink running through your blood don't you <laughs> I do and aren't we lucky Jenny that we learned how to write and you're a wonderful writer and it's a it's a, it's a skill that you that takes some talent I think but I think it's more just what you learn and also reading course. Uh, people ask me, how do you, what, what do I do to get a career? And the first thing I say is read, 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 read. Uh, Bob Bowlesby told me that in his retirement, uh, the thing he enjoys the most is having time to read. He said, mm -hmm. Bill, I can't even tell you how many books I've read since I've been retired. And, and I, and I read a lot myself, but I'm, I'm looking forward to, but I don't have enough time. I'm looking forward to having that time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned Bob Bowlesby, another name that's big in the college athletic uh, ac uh, administration role is Chuck Ninus. And I know that he was an entry point for you into this world of college athletics administration. Uh, you've told the dirty diaper story before, Bill, but I feel like this is an appropriate time for I you to retell because this, this is how you, you went from newspapers to what you've spent the last 45 years doing. Yeah, I, I, I'm happy to tell the dirty diaper story. This may be the first time on your podcast that uh, dirty diapers has ever been a topic. I think so. <laughs> but I, I had a young son, and I was assistant SID at Oklahoma, and I flew from Kansas City, where we had attended the Big Eight Holiday Basketball Tournament, down to New Orleans to watch the Sooners play. Uh, I don't remember if it was the Auburn game or the Penn State game, but one of those two games. And Commissioner Ninus was on the plane with his son, and there was a dirty diaper episode. <laughs> and, and, and Commissioner Ninus, I was sitting in front of him, and he was like flabbergasted. And I said, Commissioner, would you like me to change that diaper? I know how to do this. And he said, oh, Bill, would you please well, I did right there in the seat of the airplane. I don't suppose you could do that anymore. But I changed uh, Andy Ninus's diaper. And what that did was it elevated me from all the young staff members at all the big eight schools in Chuck's mind to someone that he remembered. Now, he may not have remembered me because of for my skills or education or intelligence, but he remembered me because of the dirty diaper. <laughs> So fast forward to uh, 1978 when the communications job opened at, at the Big Eight office, and Chuck just called me and said, I want you to come take this job. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was all because of I owe it all. I owe my whole career to that dirty <laughs> diaper. <laughs> Thank goodness you knew what to do. If you hadn't, who knows what, what you'd be doing now? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? 
Well, you, you did spend years at the big eight, which I have to admit, as I was working on this, I, I had to struggle with the big eight versus big 12. I guess my brain has officially switched over, but uh, lots of lots of big monumental moments within the, the course of uh, the decade or so that you were there. Do you have a, a favorite memory of those those early years in athletic college athletic administration for you? Well, the year that I will never forget, and anyone, everyone who was there will never forget, the 1971 Oklahoma football season. And when we were on that trajectory, we were so good. Our team was so good. Jack Mildren, Sugar Bear Hamilton, just go on down the list, Greg Pruitt. Um, and we were so good, but and Nebraska was so good. And we just kept thinking, they're undefeated, we're undefeated. And lo and behold, we did meet on Thanksgiving Day, of course, in 1971 at Norman. We lost uh, 35-31 in, in maybe the second best college football game I've ever seen. Um, and I've never seen a team come out so well in a loss. I mean, we on the staff were devastated. Our players were devastated. But we knew that we had played against a great team with an awesome defense. Of course, Nebraska was led by Rich Glover and – we had Tom Brahaney. I could go on down and list the, list the players. Amazing. But it was the best way. I, I'm, I was 21 years old, just starting in the business. So that was my first year. And I got to experience all that success, winning at Pitt, beating USC at home, beating Texas. Uh, it, it was more so was the game itself and all the national writers who mm -hmm. came in to cover the game. And I, and I met legends in the business that I – knew and, and was able to talk to for the next 20 years. Um, of course, the time at the Big Eight for me was uh, highlighted by that Final Four, 1988. Yeah. No sooner will ever forget that. Uh, my brother said that was the worst uh, Sooner memory of his life. Hmm. And I think, I think all the Sooners realized that, hey, we may not get to the national championship game with a team this good uh, very often. So that, that that's a memory that 50-50 at halftime, and oh, um, Danny Manning, all, all of it is just something that we were all so lucky to be able to be involved with. And, and really, for, I was the director, chairman, co-chairman of the local host committee for that Final Four. Well, that brought, that brought me to the attention of the NCAA people in kind of the same way that the Dirty Diaper had brought me to Ninus's attention. And uh, a year later, they, they were looking for somebody to be the director, and they called me and said, Hey, would you come interview for this? And then lo and behold, I got to be become the director of the Final Four. Yeah, and I want to talk about that in a second. But first, you said that that 71 OU Nebraska game was the second best college football game you've ever seen. For a guy that sees a lot of great college football games, I got to know, what's number one? I bet you could guess uh, Vince Young. That was a good one, Bill. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. They were out. They were done. They were toast. SC had won the game, basically. And, man, Vince Young brought him back. And uh, I, I know how my Sooner friends feel about about Texas, but uh, Mac became a great friend. And, and no one will ever see a better game than that USC-Texas game at the Rose Bowl. Yeah, that was an all-timer for sure. Uh, let's get back to the Final Four, because as you said, your, uh, your, your, your work involved in that 1988 committee there in Kansas City with that 
50th anniversary final four game uh, with that 50-50 score. Again, unbelievable stuff there in that in that final. But uh, the director of the final four wasn't something the NCAA had had before. What what was the challenge of that to take over uh, a new job and and sort of step into it? Uh, you know, there's nobody you can call and say, what are we supposed to do here? Yeah, it was, it was awesome. It was an awesome opportunity. Uh, they had been running the Final Four with two or three different people in the national office. And Tom Jernstead, who was one of those two or three, along with Dave Kaywood, uh, sold the concept of having a full-time director. And um, I had been to 10 or 11 Final Fours by then. And they just called me and said, hey, we want to talk to you about this. And uh, by the way, this year will be in that and Phoenix will be my 45th Final Four in a row. And I'm, I'm really shooting for 75. I think, why not? Wow. Um, first Final Four was 1979. And trivia question, where that was the Magic Bird Final Four, of course, yeah. and highest TV ratings of all time. Never, It'll never be surpassed. Uh, but where was where was that Final Four played, Jenny? Do you know? Oh, man, I don't. But I was just as you were talking about Final Fours in the '70s and knowing the stadiums they're played in today, I was thinking that has to be the biggest change that's happened. Is you know you go from probably on campus stadiums to these football stadiums now. Yeah, and that one was on campus. It was at the Huntsman Center at the University of Utah. Wow. Uh, and wow. the other question is, who were the other teams besides? Ugh. Michigan State and, and Indiana State, and no one ever gets this, but it was you, you Paul. Need, you, Ray Meyer was a coach. Mark Aguirre was a great player. And the other one was the last time an Ivy League team was in the Final Four. It was Penn, University wow. of Pennsylvania. So You, you need you my go. sidekick, Barry Trammell, to answer the trivia Barry questions can, like that. Barry he would he would rally it off in a heartbeat. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, you did. You were, you were involved with the Final Four at a time it went from on-campus Huntsman Centers to – you know, football stadiums and, you know, just these humongous numbers. What, um, I, I have to think that part of that was the NCAA deciding they needed to, you know, put the, put the event in somebody's hands that wasn't just part of somebody else's job. What do you feel like you brought into the growth of, of that event? Because now we, you know, March Madness is a, a state of mind for people in this country. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I love what's happened to the tournament. The growth of the tournament has been great. Uh, they had the NCAA tried a, a, a big building. It was either 1971 or 74. I can't remember. 71, I think. They played in the Astrodome, and frankly, it was a disaster. The sidelines were terrible. The court was elevated about six feet, and but the fans were sitting on the floor. So if you're sitting on the floor and the court's elevated six feet, and you think about looking across to the other side, all you can see is the top of the players' heads, and it was a disaster. And the, and the NCAA people said, "Nope, never doing that again." Well. Um, Superdome people in New Orleans talked the NCAA into coming back to a big building, and it, it worked. Um, then when I was there, we we after the, the Final Four at the Meadowlands, uh, we did take it to domes. But at that time, the court was in the end zone, and there were portable seats that were yeah. basically in, at the 30-yard line. So the capacity was, I don't know what it was, 30,000, say. And then after I left, they went to the full stadium capacity that they have now, and the, the, yes, there's more revenue for the NCAA, but the best thing about the big stadiums is more people can go. Duh. 
I mean, and more, you see families experiencing the final four and maybe they're sitting way up at the top of the building and maybe they're watching the game on, on the jumbotron, but yeah. by golly, they get to go to the final four. So I have, I have no issues at all with the, with the big buildings and uh, they're here to stay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable what that event has become. I mean, even if you think about where it was in 88 bill being at Kemper arena, you know, that would be what a third, a fourth of what the, the, the stadiums are now for those games. Unbelievable how it's changed. Yeah. We had 16,000 at Kemper and I think they have now what almost 70. Yeah. 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 It's unbelievable. Well, uh, uh, an Okie, a born and raised Okie going from basketball to football. Did you think that you just had to somehow get into football at some point in your, in your career? I know you did it obviously at OU and you did it with the big eight, but how did, how did it, how did it happen that the move to what was then the BCS happened? Well, as, as an, as an Okie, I, I did grow up under the shadow of football. And in my formative years, uh, my team never lost. And, of course, that was a 47-game winning streak. Yeah. So I was obsessed with college football. I learned to read because of reading game stories, uh, reading the columnists in the Daily Oklahoman. I learned math in a large part from college football. I will never forget when the two-point conversion was adopted. It was a 1958 season, and I was, I was fascinated by numbers. And I, I was like, wow a team can score eight points in a game. How cool would that be? Or maybe 11, you know, maybe kick a field goal and get 11. So it, it was, and I, I used to study different ways. How many different ways are there to, to score 21 points in a football game? We all think three touchdowns and three PATs, all good. But we don't think about, you, you know, you could really get eight, nine safeties and a field goal. <laughs> <laughs> that was my life as a kid. So that's how important uh, football was to me. But I got on the basketball track, uh, but always remained a football person at heart. Uh, we always stood around the water cooler at the NCAA with our basketball folks in the fall on Monday mornings and talked about what happened during the weekend in college football. So when the commissioners, uh, conference commissioners called me and said, we're looking for somebody to manage the BCS, at the time, uh, it wasn't hard for me to leave basketball. I, I spent 16 years with a tournament, loved it, but kind of feel like I kind of came back to my first love at college football. Hmm. You know, back in those BCS days, I don't have to tell you this, but obviously there was no committee chair to answer questions or face critics. That was your job, Bill. That <laughs> that was That's something you haven't had to do in the playoff, but in those days, that was you. Yeah, I was the only staff member. Um, that was that was part of my job. And uh, you, well, the, the the great thing that happened to me was when they said we're gonna we're, we are gonna start this playoff, Bill. You know that, and and we want you to stay on as executive director. And I was the only staff member. And they said build a staff, get a selection committee, get an office space, uh, get cities to play in, just make it happen. And I'm I'm mm -hmm. standing there, I'm like. Well, I'm the only one. <laughs> and they basically said, yeah, we know, but but do it, make it happen. So we added staff and now they do all the work. Uh, mm -hmm. We have a wonderful staff. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's a, it, was a, it was a dream come true to be able to go back to my Oklahoma roots as a football fanatic and to be able to manage a national tournament in college football. It's unbelievable. Yeah. 
Did you did you have any hesitation when the BCS became the college football playoff? Because I mean, at that point, I assume that you know, if you wanted to maybe break off and try something totally different, a different uh, avenue in sports, was there any hesitation to say, "Nope, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to keep doing this," even you know, with the challenges of kind of launching into something new? No, no hesitation. The only other thing I ever wanted to do once I decided I wasn't going to be a classical piano player was I wanted to be a columnist for the Daily Oklahoman. And um, that didn't work out either. So oh. <laughs> no, no, no hesitation to, to stay in on. And this is my 19th season in college football. Um, it will be my, my, my swan song. And uh, I'm, I'm this, I'll segue into probably what you're going to ask about next. But I'm, 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 I'm content with retirement, actually looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, and I know that obviously the committee's job and, and your job is never easy, but you got to watch football for a living for the last, um, you know, two-ish decades. That's a, that's a pretty great existence, Bill. <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, my life 24-7, 365 is football. And during the season, frankly, I can go to any game on any campus that I want to. Uh, I don't go to many games anymore because I've our daughter-in-law coaches soccer at Oklahoma State, so I like to go to as many of her games as possible. But it, it is an existence that we're, we're here by a freeway in our office in Dallas, and I tell people, everybody driving by that freeway on, on John Carpenter Freeway would love to have my job. And, and I get that. I'm, I've just been extremely, extremely lucky. Have you thought about what college football Saturdays are going to be like next fall? Well, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm like most people I know that, that I start out with game day at 8 o'clock central and uh, then the game, then start with the games at 11 and, and continue till you know, the last Pac-12 after dark go, ends, and that's my Saturday. I, I don't watch pro football, I have to confess, because I get my fill of football on Saturday. Um, but, but I suppose I'll do the same thing when I retire. I, I just – I love the game. I love the – team aspect of, of college football. I love the pageantry. I love the painted faces. I love the marching bands. I love the, the colors. Um, yeah, I, I think I'll just keep on keeping on, even though I won't be, you know, sitting in this chair as director. Yeah, yeah. So because of how great it's been and how cool a job you, you've had, why was now the right time? You announced us. Uh, it's been a few months ago that the announcement came down that this was it. Why did you feel like now was the, the right time to retire? Well, I had been thinking about it, but then we had um, uh, COVID and I thought I need to, I need to stay and get, th get us through COVID. And then we had all the stuff about expanding the playoff. And I thought I need, I need to stay for that. And I feel very content that we're going to be ready for the 12 team event before I leave and um, I'm not getting any younger and there's still some things on my bucket list. And I'm I, what prompted me to do it now was as much as anything, I'm, I'm still healthy, knock on wood. And there's a lot of places I want to travel and I want to, I want to write more. I want to, I want to get good at piano again. I want to learn uh, what's the Photoshop. I want to learn Photoshop. Everybody talks about, well, just Photoshop. Jenny into that picture. Well, I, I don't know how to do that, but I figure I can learn. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's uh, it's a good time. Yeah. 
Well, and you and your wonderful wife, Nikki, living in Kansas City, I know you've gone to tons of Olympics. You're part of that, uh, that, that uh, communications contingent. Um, will there be more Olympics? Are you guys going to stay in Kansas City? I have to think more OSU soccer games might be in your future. Uh, do you just have uh, lots, of, lots of things on the list to do? Lots of things on the list. A lot of travel. Um, frankly, our first our first travel thing that we had, we were about four days from paying for the trip was to go to Israel. Oh and, wow! Oh, I feel so sad for all the people there. And there will be a time someday when we can we can Israel things will calm down over there enough that folks like Nikki and I can can go there. But you know, last March I think you remember that Nikki and I did go to Antarctica. And that was an amazing adventure. So we're starting to starting to see and do some some things. Uh, there's a band of brothers tour, a couple of them in Europe, where you follow in the footsteps of of the band of brothers, and so that's on the list. Uh, wow. but, but I've never been to uh, what's the cave system up in Northwest Oklahoma, Alabaster Caverns? Oh maybe, yeah, I've never yeah, been there. Yeah, I think that's right. So maybe oh, wow. before I go to Israel, I should go there. I've never been to Indian City, USA. I don't even know if it's still there in Anadarko. Uh, but there's a lot of Oklahoma that I haven't seen yet. I've never been to the Talamina Drive, for crying out loud. What is wrong with me? <laughs> we're going to do that We're going to revoke your Oklahoman card, Bill, if you admit to the list being that long. I do, I do know most of the nicknames of most of the high school uh, mascots in Oklahoma. So we'll, and we'll, you know how to say all the towns that are uh, playing high school football, right? <laughs> they do a pronunciation deal at halftime at Oklahoma State soccer, and they have the players oh. try to pronounce, and they they, spell, they put the names up on the board, and they none of them got Miami. No one, no one ever oh. gets Miami, and yeah. they put Godibo up there. No one ever gets Godibo. Uh, Chickasha is hard enough. Anyway, I, I could I could talk about towns in Oklahoma forever. <laughs> hey, listen, Goatee Bow is my, when I need to say something is really out of the way, I always say Goatee Bow. It's not, you know, Timbuktu, it's Goatee Bow. And I'm sorry, Goatee Bow, I love you, but you're my go-to. <laughs> Maybe I should go to Goatee Bow. Maybe that should be on my list, Bill. That's right. Kiowa <laughs> County, town of Goatee Bow. Yeah. Here I come. Well, I know that the bowl season will be busy and robust for you. So, And I know that this week has been busy after the selection of last weekend. So I cannot thank you enough for making time to come on the show. Thank you so much for doing this, Bill. Well, Jenny, you're awesome. I knew this would be fun, and it was. So well done. Thank you. Well, maybe we'll have to do it again and get Nikki to join us next time. <laughs> That'd be, oh, she would be in a panic. <laughs> You know, okay, maybe, well, maybe we'll leave. Maybe we'll leave her to, to do her own thing. Uh, we'll Han make that decision later. Vicki Hancock <laughs> from Hobart, my high school sweetheart. She doesn't even like to get her photo made, much less get interviewed. <laughs> well, I'll just talk to her off camera though, because she is wonderful as well. Are you? So, thanks again for joining me, and thanks to all of you. If this was your first time hearing or watching the Jenny Carlson Show, be sure to subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. Also, if you like what you hear, please leave a review. And remember, you can find all my work at selloutcrowd.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.